0: podcast listeners it's michael shelley here scott fagan is our guest today and uh on the what we aired was just a small portion of this it was two of the songs i think it was about a about a half hour what you've got here is an hour and 20 minutes of scott fagan and i uh at wfmu and uh this is a you know much longer much more drawn out it's nice to have the podcast where we can air the sort of longer form stuff so you get five songs here and all kinds of interesting scott fagan stories south atlantic blues has just come out on the saint cecilia knows label you can check scottfagan.com for information uh this is sort of long so i, I won't keep you too much on this introduction but uh, interesting guy interesting story and uh you really get to hear it pretty in-depth here from the man himself. Uh, check WFMU.org slash Michael for the list of upcoming guests, the archives of all the old shows. They're yours to listen to for free whenever you like. Uh, that's about it, folks. I will talk to you soon. Here is Scott Fagan. All right, we are up here in Studio B, and Scott Fagan is my guest. It's It's been a long journey for you to get here, both metaphorically and literally. I know you had some path train problems this morning, but I'm really pleased to... to to hear you, uh, your record South Atlantic Blues was just re-released for the first time. It originally came out, I think, in 1968. And I was telling you just a minute ago, I saw it in the in the bin upstairs, and I popped it in the CD player. And uh, you know, the very first song really, really hit me. You know, it just. Uh, uh, just the way, the sound of it, the presentation of it, what you were saying, the performance of it—it's very fully committed, and it and it kind of has that line that I love so much, which is pop music, but presented with a little bit of a twist to it. And uh, and so I'm happy it's been re-released, and I'm happy it brings you all the way here. And uh, welcome to WFMU, and good morning.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm very happy to be here, and. Uh um, I want to say hi to all those folks that have been waiting for me to show up <laughs> at WFMU for these many years. Um, WFMU, for the longest while, was the only station playing my stuff in the state. Uh, apparently, they they play it more overseas. But uh, um, and I hear from listeners, WFMU listeners. Uh, oh, they played South Atlantic blues. Oh, they played in your hands. Oh, you ought to get over there. And But um, I'm nice. here now, and I'm saying hi to them, and uh, and I'm thanking them for their grace and their patience. Uh,
0: so, as I said, this was just uh, re-released on this label. Well, it will be
1: released on the 20th.
0: On the 20th. St. Cecilia Knows. Uh, I you think it's going to air is? after the 20th. Do you so. know who
1: St. Cecilia is? No, who is it? The patron saint of musicians. Oh, excellent.
0: Well, perfect. Uh, uh, this was just re-released, and I was telling you that it, it came. It has a nice booklet inside, and I was reading your story, and it's a, it's a quite interesting story, just full of drama and, and twists and turns, and there, lots of opportunity uh, for you not to be here today, you know, along the way, uh, and here you are. So I want to talk about that a little bit. First of all, where were you born?
1: um on 52nd street in new york city um in the time that it was jazz heaven yeah my pop was a tenor man tenor saxophone and a singer a great great singer um and he um, he came up uh, um sitting in with uh, with who they call prez that's lester young and, uh, and Lady Day, that's Billie Holiday, or Eleanor Fagan, as we refer to her. Um, so my mother was a jazz baby, a modern dancer. My pop was a young uh, bebop tenor man, a singer. And uh, so I was born right there and, and grew up in and amongst uh, creative people.
0: And so you end up moving with your mom to... First to the Virgin Islands, is that right? Yes. At um, what age? Early were, on. Um, Four or so? I was five. Four or five. Yeah. So why is the first question?
1: Well, she and her twin sister were both modern dancers and wanted out of what they call the rat race. Um, there was an arts colony um, in St. Thomas, uh, Virgin Islands, that uh, had been started by Camille Pissarro. Who was the father of impressionism? Um, so, folks had been there—painters, poets—and
0: this is the late 1940s, right? It's well, this is 1950.
1: 1950, uh, but Camille Pissarro is uh, is 1850 or something. But you moved down there in 1950. So, was it
0: a beatnik scene? What was the? What did it feel like?
1: Very bohemian. On the other hand, but the, the Saint Thomas in particular has been uh, a crossroads uh, of the world um, for many, many hundreds of years. It is uh, the best natural harbor in, in the West Indies, and that was very important uh, in, in shipping days, sailing days, particularly. Um, and and it is very multicultural. It always has been, and it is. So if there's a bohemian scene, there's also a, a classical European scene. There's also culturally um, English folks and, and Irish and Scottish folks, and and a large colony of uh, of French people um, left over from Napoleon's um, army. And is that
0: all in music? There is that. It what, is as, what, back then. It or, is. Can you remember first? Hearing music down there,
1: well, I can. But there's also uh, uh, the African influence, the calypso influence, the Spanish Caribbean influence. I do remember music. I remember music uh, from my very, very earliest consciousness.
0: Was it a good? So this atmosphere sounds, you know, certainly it's certainly escaping the rat race. Was it as a kid? Did you feel secure at that time down there? Was that
1: monetarily secure? Any?
0: Any? I don't know how kid, you know. However, in your head, your your little kid head.
1: My little kid head? Um, My little kid head was very much distracted by music. My mother was alcoholic and became more and more acutely alcoholic. She married seven times. Um, Many of those were local uh, people of color, alcoholic men. So I grew up in a, in a in a, an extraordinary mix of beauty and and violence, of the greatest sort of natural affluence, and uh, and desperation. Um, but that's the way it is, and that's the way it naturally was, and uh, and and the work I do um, naturally comes out of that. Uh. When uh, when I was very young, we had to flee Saint Thomas, and wound up in uh, Puerto Rico, a place called El Fanguito.
0: Why'd you have to flee Saint Thomas? Uh,
1: bill collectors and such alcoholic folks don't pay the bills uh, often.
0: Um, so you wind up in Puerto Rico have, there's a photograph in the liner notes of the place where you live the neighborhood El Fanguito
1: El Fanguito
0: And wow it's yeah, it it's, it's unbelievable yeah, how it how crazy I mean tell the folks what we're talking about
1: Um well El Fanguito was the is a, was the number one slum in all of uh, Spanish America and that's saying a lot uh certainly in the Spanish Caribbean Um it was built on a mud flat, and, uh, and you build houses out of uh, tin cans, flattened cans, and cardboard, and uh, there wasn't much uh, plastic around in those days. Uh, but um, any and everything you can, a scrap of wood, this, that, and the next thing. And and, and many of those folks were aspiring, but um, but alcoholism is fairly rampant in and that population certainly then also. Um, so I think the first or second day that we were there, uh, um, I saw for the very first time the thing that that set me and my commitment to to writing. I saw young naked young children um, digging. Stuff's out of garbage cans and and putting it directly in their faces, in their mouths. Beautiful little girls, beautiful little boys, uh, you know. And I was not much older than they were, and we were in difficult circumstances, but not that. Um, and so I thought to myself in that moment, Jesus, if the people in America knew about this. They'd help. I know they'd help. And uh, I got to tell them about it. And that idea um, found a, a root in my soul. And and um, and so when I write stuff, I mean it. When I sing, I mean it. That's why I sound like I mean it, because I mean it.
0: Yeah, you sound committed. You're fully committed I to your lyrics. It. So were you playing a guitar? Was there? Were you writing songs at this point or thinking about it?
1: Well, that is the first time I thought about writing anything, and uh, uh, the hardest thing really um, I think I ever did is learn how to write good, well-constructed song.
0: When's the first time you actually ha- started to learn an instrument?
1: Um, well, the instrument is a vocal. I I <laughs> began to sing very early on. Um I had uh, stowed away on uh, two separate airplanes when I was 16 to come to America uh, to uh, to begin my recording career. And um, I thought the plane was going to, uh, I was on an Eastern flight, I thought it was going to Miami. Um, but it wound up in Baltimore.
0: How do you stow away on a plane? I mean, these days it's it's two. obviously I a different away story. Two of them, but <laughs> twice. My my grandfather stowed away from Ireland to get here and end, end up in Australia. And, wow! Uh, and they sent him back. In Man again. after me own heart. And there. he did it again, and he finally got to New York. Uh, how do you? I mean, do you just walk on like you own the
1: place? Or well, that's how. I, um, the first airline was Caribair. Uh, which uh, was a airline out of Puerto Rico, um, and it was in St. Thomas. Um, and uh, that one, I just jumped the fence. They were announcing the flight, and I just jumped the fence and, uh, and uh, walked on the plane and sat down next to a, a lovely young soul. Um, and I was a fairly lovely young soul myself. And I said, I'm not stoned away. <laughs> if anybody has, tell them we're married. <laughs> and she said, okay. Oh,
0: why not? Uh, Scott Fagan is our guest, and South Atlantic Blues is the record. I think this is a great time to hear a song, if you wouldn't mind favoring us with something.
1: I'd like to favor you with the song that I wrote for that girl, but I never did write a thing <laughs> for her.
0: Still time. Yes.
1: So will be the next one. This is the song uh, you referred to earlier in my head.
2: Black and white past the grass For the mass Last endless glass of wine Somebody's eye, man, is watching the high man walk down the line. And his reflection and his shadow do seem. Something I've said Oh no Something Something In my head The city street show Cracks like a storm And so I wonder Why is it so strange To rearrange the clouds Over and under Myself and I Have always i mm-hmm.
0: Fagan is here, and that is the, uh, the lead-off track from South Atlantic Blues uh, just recently re-released. Wow. So you finally do get to New York uh, through legal means. I think you worked your way across uh, sailing uh, sailing a boat, working your way to get to Florida, and then uh, played some music in Florida and took a bus up to New York. And So now it's early 1960s. You well, are- no, no,
1: no, no. So I got... Uh, um, I was gigging in in Ireland with a little trio the the urchins great name and um
0: and this is original songs
1: yeah uh, a mix um and uh, spied a uh, a bohemian looking wench across the room who had already spied me and um and we got to hugging and smooching and um uh, that is the genesis of Stephen. Your son. Yes. So um he's conceived on a, on a very listing houseboat.
0: <laughs> Maybe too much information but listing <laughs> a lot.
1: Um and then uh Um we did everything we could, all the gigs. I mean we absolutely um did everything possible in the islands, um culminating with a a great show in the uh, in the local ballpark um, with the mighty Lord Kitchener who um, in Caribbean uh terms is 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 a calypso god. And um and Kitchener gave me his blessing, Me Boy, your God the goods now go and give it to the world.
0: So what was the urchin sound? I mean was it
1: uh Well I was the lead singer so you, you
0: just <laughs> it's heard. a lot like this. Was yeah. it more Beatles because it was that no. time was it no no. no no
1: no. God bless the Beatles, no. Uh, you will look far and wide to find my influences. They are Edith Piaf. They are Eleanor Fagan. Uh, they are Johnny Ray. Um, they are uh, every hillbilly song that ever broke a heart. Our We had one radio station in the islands, and, uh, and they had to play music for everyone, so the mix was fantastic. Maybe a bit like you guys. <laughs> so there was martial music. There was uh, classical European. There was uh, Broadway show tunes. There was hibaron music coming from Puerto Rico and Cuba. Um, there was uh, there was the most raw calypso music coming up from Trinidad. Um, and of course, we had our own calypsonians. We had all our own everything. Uh, and there was rock and roll, and and rock and roll. Uh, there was a, a rock and roll show for maybe an hour a day, um, but uh, but most of it came fuzzy in and out, in and out in the late night. You'd have your little transistor radio, and you'd and you'd hear song magic. The you'd hear you'd hear the the marching song of of what we viewed as. As a revolutionary generation, fading in and out from New Orleans, from North Carolina, from Chicago, from New York, it was fantastic. Anyway, so um, naturally, uh, any set of music uh, was impacted by all of that, and and uh, I think you can see that that. Um, You know, it's the English that rediscovered uh, South Atlantic Blues. So the first reviews are all referenced by English writers. So they say David Bowie, but uh, uh, David Bowie is no influence of mine. I I think I've been recording before David. Um, And Donovan, God bless him, beautiful writer, Catch the Wind. I still do a, a medley of Catch the Wind, just beautiful. Um, Scott Walker, God bless him, but, uh, I have no influence from Scott Walker. Um, and, and other English folk that they relate to, well, Scott sounds like, but, uh, but doesn't sound like he's reminiscent of, and, uh, you, you know, people say these things, so we have a, a frame of reference, but, uh, if you don't know Lord Kitchener or the Mighty Sparrow, then, uh then you wouldn't recognize that influence or Lord Melody. You
0: hear all of them on WFMU. Uh, Well, and
1: and Lucho Gatica, who was a great uh, singer out of uh, Ecuador.
0: Okay, so you're playing in the Urchins. You meet this girl, and how do you get to New York City?
1: Um, She goes back to the States. Uh, I I get a gig um, as a bilge rat on a sailboat uh, called The Success a 50-foot, uh, sloop, and, uh, and we sailed up, uh, um, my friend and I had two build rats. This sloop had, was on the last leg of an around-the-world tour, um, and, um, there was this Irish captain and his two little girls, uh, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and they needed a crew to help, and so we signed on, uh, left at dawn on July the 2nd, 1964, sailed out of the harbor. Um, a lot of folks say I should have sailed east, uh, but I sailed west and um, east because uh, they think that the English would have received me in a positive way. Um, and uh, a month and a half later, arrived in Coconut Grove, which was a fairly hip place down in South Florida. Uh, was singing in a in a place called the House of Pegasus in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, and a group of young girls formed a little Scott Fagan fan club, and scraped up fifty dollars and gave it to me to go to New York. Uh, the the liner
0: notes for the CD say. That you arrived, or, I'm paraphrasing, you That's arrived okay. in New York City with 11 cents. I did. The first stop was to go see Doc Pomas, and he signed you to a contract on the spot.
1: Um, I had one telephone number, and I had 11 cents. And uh, and I called that number, and that number was Doc Pomas. Artsy friends of my mother's had passed the number along of a guy who a friend of a friend of a friend's cousin's wife's uncle um, wrote songs with sometimes. And he was certainly somebody in the music business, so call him. So I did. And he said, all right, well, um, come on over. So I went over. He was uh, living at the Forest Hotel on 49th Street on Broadway. That's directly across the street from the Brill Building. Uh, Come on over. So I went over there, and uh, he said, all right, let me see what you got. And so there's a piano bench. Doc had polio and and didn't have use of his legs. So he's sitting in the middle of this enormous triple-wide bed uh, wrapped in a sheet. And he says, let me hear what you got.
0: He's naked otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Um, So there's a piano bench. sit there. I sit there. And I sing him three songs. And at the end of it, he says, Okay, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to assign you to personal management. And I'm going to assign you to my production company. Go downstairs and tell them to give you a room. Come back here and let's get started. Yeah,
0: and you had one cent in your pocket. Uh, well, a- <laughs> and,
1: and you know, now I had a hotel room.
0: Here. Yeah, it's just an amazing. Uh, yeah, it was an uh, amazing uh, did you see the movie uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis? No. An uh, interesting movie about uh, – it takes place yeah, during – know, I know. And about. there's a character kind of based on Doc Pomus in the movie. So
1: they say. Yeah. Or Herb Gart, huh. who was also Who crosses your path of mine. soon, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, okay, so – I'd like to see the movie. It, I, I don't dismiss I, it. I, I just, loved it except for the I last bit. That's all I'll say. I don't want to ruin yeah. it. But I loved yeah. it otherwise.
1: Um but so, that was an interesting time, man, in the village. It it was really something.
0: Yeah. So you, you start working with Doc uh Pomas and Mort Schumann, who's yes. his his partner, a little yes. bit younger and closer to your age. Yes. And they're you know
1: Is all this in the liner notes?
0: A lot of it is, yeah.
1: Well well well, well why does anybody gonna interview me in the future? <laughs> what do you think, Matt?
0: <laughs> there's always more. There's always more.
1: There is. There's there's a lot more.
0: Uh so you you're working with Doc Thomas. And they're writing songs and they're, they're from that old school where they are always working a deal and a single for this label. And they've got a lot going on and they're managing it. And uh, was that like uh, – was watching that all go on coming from you know the Virgin Islands in a totally different life? Was that a mind blow or
1: – Did you hear me stomach singing <laughs> for a burrito? Good Lord. Scott's stomach Sorry, is, is acting up. Yeah. No, it's just hungry, hungry. <laughs> um, it was fantastic to me, but uh, but I was immediately in it. Um, it wasn't, watch this, Scotty. It was, come here, sit down. We're working on this. Uh, uh, very early on, I wrote a tune with Doc and Mort called uh, Cry Till My Tears Run Dry, Irma Thomas uh, yeah. recorded it. I
0: just saw Irma a couple couple of weeks ago she didn't do that tune but it's a great record yeah, it's and a good one I'm sure we'll play it on this show so with those guys you recorded a few sessions for a couple of different labels nothing happened until bang records put out uh, a 45 by you but you already were doing a lot you were you were real busy and uh, your first sort of uh, success you know professional releases are coming out and then you kind of eventually Part ways with Doc. You're playing in the village, and like you said, your new manager comes and sees you and says, according to the liner notes, uh, you'll be as big as Elvis in six
1: months. <laughs> six I'll make months, it kid. bigger than Presley. <laughs> uh, and I manage Buffy St. Marie, oh, he says well. to me. And and uh, the p- bigger than Presley was interesting, but the Buffy St. Marie part. Maybe you can meet so Buffy St. So Marie. So tell good me. good lord. Maybe meet. No, I was signing with Herb. Expressly for that. <laughs> uh, Do you are you familiar with Buffy saying uh, Yeah, a little bit, sure. Oh my God, what a beautiful looking soul she was! Yeah. Just beautiful.
0: So tell me about the, you're playing in Greenwich Village. I mean, it's such a uh, a story time in in the you know there was just people playing sets and sets and clubs, and there was that time where this thing was exploding, and there was kind of still a square world and a, a hipper world, and they were kind of intersecting. And where were you? I what don't you?
1: know about square and and hip intersecting I don't know about that
0: what 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 do what do you know tell me what what you saw what you felt
1: it had nothing to do with squares and and hip intersecting I mean from time to time we would stagger against a square wench God bless her and she would throw her arms around those but
0: people butt. were curious you know uh, newspapers and magazines were writing articles about what was going on there maybe not quite Exactly, understanding it from the perspective of of performer, certainly. You
1: have a, a wonderful enthusiasm for for this. Does that mean it's I disagree? Wonderful. No, no, uh, no. It would have been great if you'd been there. Uh, um,
0: I would wish I could. Yeah.
1: So, so I was the house singer at uh, Steve Pold's scene for a year, along with Tiny Tim, who was a fantastic character. Um, the scene was where all the girls from uh, uh, High School of Music and Art, all the famed girls went, geez, good Lord, they were beautiful and fantastic. And and I liked them, and they liked me. And so I was at the scene for a year. Uh, we didn't get paid. Uh, you were paid in kisses and and... <laughs> and uh macrobiotic rice,
0: how did you pay your rent or
1: well you have no rent
0: rent you slept on couches uh no,
1: with the girls, Lord, that's the trade off they love you, you love them um i I had no earthly idea about how to pay rent for many years um and then I began uh you know uh well I'm jumping ahead. Anyway, so I'm So
0: St. manager comes in and says I'm working
1: the- at the Cafe Gogo <clears throat> uh for five dollars a night alongside Richie Havens and Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. Jimmy Hendrix yeah. later. Yes. Soon though. Well it was Were Jimmy they great? James. I mean
0: I've heard that, that was a great band. I mean that just
1: It was a great blues band. Um Jimmy was great, absolutely great. Chaz Chandler and and the English kicked him up nine or ten levels, but before that, um, he was a funky dude that was just master of the instrument. Um, but uh, but we were all underfed, so the energy level is fairly low. You're eating macrobiotic rice and and ice cream sodas. You could have all the ice cream soda you you wanted. And and whatever chick you could convince to have compassion on your miserable soul and and um, macrobiotic voice and um, and at the time I was living at the Earl Hotel, which we went from hotel to hotel, uh, young writers, singers, uh, one cheap hotel after the next. What does cheap
0: mean? How what what was a week in a hotel those days?
1: $35. Oh, wow, in New York City. 40 wow.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: 50 yeah. For a nice place. Yeah, yeah for the Roger Williams, <laughs> which I also lived in. Man, I, was, I lived in every one of them. Um, anyway, uh, so Herb comes in, and he's going to make me bigger than Elvis in six months, and I'm going to get next to Buffy St. Marie. So I immediately went back uh, to St. Thomas to... Um, it's just to stay connected. Um, and um down in the islands, and uh, Herb called me. I got a gig for you, Scotty. You got to get there right away. So uh, he sends me a ticket. I jump on the plane. It's 82 degrees, balmy, trade winds, lovely. I jump on the plane and get off in Sarasota, Saratoga, New York.
0: Saratoga sounds right.
1: Uh, the gig is at a place called La Café Lina, which was a great great venue. I uh, get off and it's 25 degrees below zero at the Café Lina. So in those days, you know, I, I had a, a gig bag with a big, beautiful pouch in front where you're supposed to have your tuning, your pitch pipe, and and maybe your extra strings and things. But um, yeah, they make a choice. Is it, do you fill it with beer? Or extra strings, and my by default, I went for the alcohol. Um, so I'm up at the Cafelina in what's called the green room. The green room for is, is the warm up room. I'm in the Cafelina, and it's time for me to go on. Um, there, about half the windows in the place were broken because. Uh, The local townsfolk didn't like this progressive hippie joint. Um, And they'd thrown rocks through the windows. So I opened my beer to tune up. That was my tune up in those days. And the blasted things are frozen solid, (laughs) solid. Anyway, uh, I had one of the greatest nights of my life there. Uh, uh, Two young lesbian women from, I think it's Swarthmore college is is in that town um it 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 was 25 below zero and and there was new snow and i think it was full moon and and we just became the greatest friends nothing beyond that just heart to heart friends and we played in the snow and and explored the town and just played all night, all night long. I'll never forget them. It was just the most wonderfully touching and tender night. Twenty-five below zero, <laughs> so we we stood close to one another.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think you could uh, play us another song? Maybe something that that night went over. Gangbusters. I'll remind everybody: Scott Fagan is our guest, and South Atlantic Blues is his new album. <laughs>
1: This one's called Crying.
2: <laughs> Crying. After all. Just frei.
1: This one's called Mademoiselle.
2: My damn was hell. Yes, I know there are kings and princes. Like the stories I tell We've got nothing to sell And I'm sorry Mademoiselle And I'm sorry
0: Scott Fagan is our guest. So we're talking about the, the Greenwich Village thing and this new manager. And right around this time, you start to make this record. What were the expectations going in? To to making it and who's uh, the the sound of the record is really appealing to me. It, it has a real clean sound, but there's a lot going on, and there's interesting choices of of uh, instruments that kind of back up the melody or provide counter melodies. And it's clearly arranged, but it's very loose as well. It has a nice middle ground of all of that. Who's who's doing was that, and what were your expectations for the final product?
1: Well, Herb, um, who you know, I made some humor around uh, a little earlier. Herb is a terrific fellow and a great eye for talent. Um, and had he been more well capitalized, uh, things would be a different world. But um, Herb was the executive producer. Um, he he um, did the, in, in the independent production um, we did it at uh, Musicore Studios, which was on fifty sixth street a uh, fantastic uh, engineer Wiley Brooks uh, Elmer Gordon was the hands on producer Elmer had uh, uh, just uh, not long before done a record called Pearls before Swine," which at that time was a big thing and on the ground quote underground um, and uh, Herb was really interested in this young black arranger who was coming up from the South Food just done uh, Aretha Franklin's album. Um, his name was Horace Ott, O-T-T. So Horace was young and, and had a wonderful musical education. Fairly straight laced, and and uh, so Herb put us together, and uh, and uh, had a writing partner, uh, uh, Jose Caculis, interesting fellow. His mother was a uh, Venezuelan, illiterate Venezuelan Indian, uh, who'd married a Greek dude. So uh, my partner's name was actually uh, Jose Jose Silvio martinez but uh, who's joke coolest anyway um so we got together with horace and went over the tunes and worked up this worked up that um
0: and did you feel good about it because hearing the songs now good. you can hear these songs inside of what's on yeah, that album yeah. but there's a huge production yeah. on top
2: of them
1: well i can't i can't play all the horn lines and things i can't i mean it's either do that or sing and, and, and I default to singing. Um It may be that um if the record um creates some activity, some gigs, maybe we can go out on the road with uh, and play the full arrangements, which would be great fun. But I look I love to just sing with the guitar also, it it's fine. For me it's the song. It's a singing. Um anyway, so we had uh interesting time. Um we in one tune in particular, Tenement Holds, we had this free jazz section. Yeah. And
0: in the middle of the song there's a part where all heck breaks loose, sort it, of. It. Yeah,
1: it's a free jazz thing that we wanted to put in there to illustrate the craziness and the hopelessness uh, Joe came out of really hard knocked background, also uh, uh, shoe shine boy from New Haven, Connecticut, with an illiterate mother, uh, a younger brother, and uh, and and um, we we earned our living uh, peddling tunes. Uh, we write a song and take it to this, that, or the next publishing company. You get fifty dollar advance. And then, by God, you write another song, and uh, as quickly as you can. So, we worked with Horace. We worked up the arrangement for uh, Tenement Halls. We're in the studio, and these are top, top, top shelf New York City studio musicians. And Horace is a is a wonderfully well educated and young enthusiastic dude. And we come up to the uh, free jazz section. And man, they could not conceptualize the thing. So if
0: it wasn't on the page, they couldn't play it?
1: Well, I mean, they had subliminated so many of their own impulses in order to be responsible, respectable, reliable, and, and hireable studio guys. You don't hire dudes that are that aren't going to be there early and and do the job. They're so who just,
0: were the guy Who's playing on the track because there's no credits of of who the musicians are.
1: Well, um we we put some credits together somewhere. Um but the reason that there aren't the credits that there ought to be is because None of us ever assumed that uh, these guys were on everything. You know, like the wrecking crew out in L.A.? Um, they were just on everything. So, yeah, everybody knows who <laughs> these guys are. Um, and um, and so Chris recently contacted uh, Horace, and Horace couldn't remember who these people were. I'd see him. Uh, one of the first things Doc did was get me in the studio doing demos, so I so I'd be comfortable in the studio. So i I'd, be, I'd been seeing them, uh, you know. I was doing all these vocals. Oh, the three tunes that I did for Doc at the foot of his bed are bonus tracks. Doc's daughter found recordings doc had said scotty go record these songs and and doc's daughter sharon found them and uh, so they're bonus tracks there and and another um one of the vocal demos that i did for doc i did many many they'd write a song and and uh, joe would produce it and i would do the vocal uh that uh all for the sake of love is one of the bonus tracks also um, anyway, so Horace didn't remember these people and, and I don't remember them, but, but, uh, it may have been Kakula's finest hour. Um, so Horace and they try and blah, so Horace finally says, you do it. And, um, and so Joe and I were somewhat intimidated. These are the best players. I mean, all the rock and roll records that, that that are most dear to your heart these one of these guys was on it if not more Um, so we held them in the highest regard you can imagine but so we got them and there's and we had string players in there and
2: squeak squeak
1: and joe conducted them banging and carrying on and we got uh, we got our little free jazz section and and uh, um everybody was delighted at the end and, well yeah man
2: we did that free jazz thing yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah, when the record good. came out what uh what happened <clears throat> well on atco by the way big label part of atlantic yeah um it was being held by apple records this is not the computer folks you know that but some of the listeners may not know um, when Apple snagged that uh, Apple logo, th- there was a court case between Apple Records and and these upstart computer people. Anyway, so South Atlantic Blues and James Taylor's first album were being held by Apple to decide which would be their first release. And, um, and Peter Asher was the A&R guy. Peter's sister Jane was Paul McCartney's Honey Bunch. Um, And Peter loves James Taylor. Peter went on to produce most of of all his records. Anyway, so while it's still there, uh, Jerry... um, What the heck's his name? Jerry Weinbaum? No. Uh, Anyway, the head of uh, Verve Forecast says, oh, I want the record. Now, Verve was the number one uh, folk rock label. Um, I want the record, uh, and I'm going to go be the new president at ATCO, and I'm going to take it with me. So um, so Herb had me sign with ATCO, and, uh, and Jerry never came to terms with ATCO. He never signed a deal with them. So the record was at ATCO, and with no champion. So the next guy, uh, Jerry Greenberg, came in, and and of course the other Jerry's pet project is the last thing he's going to promote. Um, so it, it disappeared. However, um, Jasper Johns perusing cutout bins Fell in love with this record, um, and I, you know, I'm now. I'm my partner, Kukuluse, and I are are staff writers at Screen Gems, and we are writing soon, which was intended to be the follow-up to South Atlantic Blues, and this cheery little voice comes, a phone rings. Oh, my friend, loves your record. By now I was signed to Epic, and had just done a beautiful single for them called "I Am," from the the man who cried "I Am." Just a beautiful record, uh, particularly the arrangement by David Woods. David's father was Harry Woods, the guy that wrote "Try a Little Tenderness," and David was the guitar player for uh, Dave Van Ronk, and 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 myself. Um, Dave did these beautiful... Barry Cornfeld, who's another folky, a great guitar player, produced the uh, records uh, for Epic. We did two singles for them. Anyway, so I'm thinking he's talking about the Epic record, and uh, he says, no, South Atlantic Blues, he, he loves it, and he did it inspired him, and he did a piece of artwork, and we want you to come see it. He's having an opening, and I'm imagining... Um, some day-glow canvas with chicken wishbones stuck on it and watermelon seeds and and some little place down in East Village. And East Village is not the way it is these days. Um, Some little joint down there, but my mother, God bless her, had taught me to be polite. So I was polite to them. And pretty soon... Oh, what's your address? I'll send you... I had already been exposed to fan mail. And I don't know what kind of fan mail you folks get. But I got some of the strangest. I mean people would say yes in that in the third line in the second verse in South Atlantic blues in that space there i know what you
2: meant by that space i know what you meant and i don't like it uh. and i'm coming to see you
1: so i <laughs> you know i knew not to give anybody my address god help us anyway so i gave him the address the invite came and uh, and my sweetie who Patricia, who much of South Atlantic Blues is about my my little only bunch from the islands, and I jump in the car. We are definitely semi savages. She and I, along with Kikulus and his and his sweetie Abigail, we get in a taxi, and the guy pulls up at MoMA, which is a big surprise. Not a little gallery. Oh God, no, and not can... Avenue Z. <laughs> So we go in there, and there is my record on the wall in a frame with every light in the world shining on it, and the most kind and patricious, patrician-looking folks. Yeah, so gathering. Jasper John
0: made a whole series
1: of art. He did three, three Scott Fagan And so records. Did
0: that give new life to the record as a product?
1: Um, I don't know that it did. Um I will tell you this though um i've been wandering in the desert for many years and um uh, and i've been singing and writing throughout but uh, I was at u c l a in nineteen eighty seven um designing i went to u c l a uh, to learn how to design treatment programs for chemical dependency, to put one in place for the music business, uh, which I did. So I went to UCLA and, and designed this program and got it put in place, and and it became Music Airs. Anyway, so I'm out there. They don't know who what my musical background is. They're every other, if you're not a known musician, you're a wannabe out there, and and it was it was really unpleasant, tough. Um, it, people use this guy's another wannabe. Blah blah. I don't want him nothing. I want to sing. Anyway, so I would go to the UCLA library, to the art section, pull out uh, various histories of Jasper Johns and and look up my record just to remind me, just. It just meant the world to me, he, so I don't know that it sold any records, although I bet it will now huh. because it's on the cover. Um,
0: you say you were
1: lost in the desert
0: for a while, uh not lost wandering wandering okay uh, just uh, a happy life in those in these intervening years of
1: Well, I have five children with four different mothers. So most of my life has been involved with raising children. I I will tell you this, I wouldn't trade any of those children for a $100 million. So if it was a question of Scott, more material success with your music or... One of these children. I'm going with the little one. Uh, well, certainly, uh, but it was tough. Yeah, it was out. It, you know, we. It's been a long, hard, hard struggle. And so my hope is that um, we can get some management and good agent in place here. And
2: you mentioned and earlier, open the channel
1: for, your son
0: Stephen Merritt uh, didn't know he was. You didn't know he existed, or you didn't know who he nah, was until the year two thousand. Is that right? Did,
1: no, I'm. I'm in. Uh, let me say this first. I'm talking to Stephen the other day. I said, yeah, so I'm going to WFMU uh, to play some tunes and, and talk. He says, WFMU, that's the best station in the world. <laughs> ah, that's nice. So that's what he said. The best station in the world. Wow, that's very kind. Yeah, God bless he means it too. Anyway, so, no, I, uh, um, I'm i in uh, um, Mississippi, Oxford, because um, the woman in my life at that time was going to Old Miss, and we had a little one holiday, and we were in Oxford. Uh previous wife called and said, there's a kid on the radio saying you're his father. What's going on? So, um, so it was Stephen on Fresh Air. Huh. Um so I I called Fresh Air, and uh, they gave me a booking agency out of Chicago. Called them, they gave me uh, Claudia Gonson's number. I called her, and then we uh, we been in touch from that point forward. Yeah. Um, what
0: an interesting world! I mean, what a it is,
1: it's is fantastic world. So, um. When I first heard uh, Stephen's stuff, I had the weirdest feeling. I mean, melodically, our uh, stuff, I, from from my point of view, is, is pretty similar. I mean, I, I heard the stuff, I said, geez, I don't remember writing that. <laughs> and why'd I go there rather than here? Did th- that song finished? So I had a, a really... Powerful subjective response to the tunes, um, in a sort of proprietary way. Well, I did. I don't remember when I wrote that. What the heck? Anyway, uh, he's a great writer. He's a great soul. I think that Stephen views himself primarily as a writer that sings. I view myself as a singer that writes. Um, I think we'll do some wonderful work together sometime.
0: And that will be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Scott Fagan is our guest. You can get more information at scottfagan.com, and the record is called South Atlantic Blues, and it is uh, just coming out on the St. Cecilia Knows label. And uh, thank you for visiting us so much. What a what an interesting story. Really just uh, so interesting. And the record is is there to 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 hear all of this because I do think, your experiences are sort of on the on the record you know you can hear them in the songs and and things and and uh, thanks for coming and i hope you'll play one more song for us
1: well um i'm really happy to be here and honestly i think uh, you guys are the only folks that have been playing my tunes uh for the longest while um and and so many people that that love me love you guys so yeah. it's a pleasure to be here thank you Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, In Your hands Is On, the uh, South Atlantic Blues is also the opening song um, for Soon, the rock opera. And interestingly, uh, um, Soon was on Broadway, but uh, but I was fired and the original director and, and my co-writer were all fired and barred from the theater. And, um, Anyway, so the director Robert Greenwald, who's a fairly well-known activist these days, and I did it out in California at the um, at the Pilgrimage Theater for the Center Theater Group, and and um, and it opened with me out on the sidewalk, out uh, singing this tune, and so we have a little uh, little woolen sack recording of it. And people are throwing money in the the, end. It's great.
2: Tell the preacher man To turn his head around Cause once a man Has died, he's gone To rotting in the ground You've got to tell the man to stop His superstitious sons Spread the news of glory In the new life we have found Tell the people Man is dying while they pray And the only life man will have is the one he's got today your brother. Stand. They are the gods This is the heaven Nothing has been planned Stop the superstition Truth is all we can.
1: So I'd written that uh, Lyndon Johnson had proclaimed a day of prayer to end the war in Vietnam. And I thought that was the height of hypocrisy. Um, I felt as though Lyndon uh, Johnson was putting the responsibility for ending all of this killing on, on, on the American people and those that, uh, that that believed in prayer um, and and their God, whatever God that might be, when, in fact, uh, Lyndon Johns, uh, Johnson could have uh, ended the war any morning in two seconds. Right,
0: we didn't pray hard enough. That's why the war didn't end. Well, banned, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's <laughs> on <laughs> you. It's yeah. your fault. Yeah.
1: And your son and your daughters are going and being maimed and killed, and it's your fault. So, I wrote in your hand also um Chris Campion, who um you know the whole resurgence of South Atlantic blues started with an anonymous fellow out on the internet. Um, the Namde Internet of Jakarta Jive. Um, And he wrote the most wonderful things about South Atlantic Blues and the artists attached to that. And pretty soon, this is years ago, um, people began discussion boards and blah, blah, and and they were saying the most wonderful things. Also, you know, I have I have a small fan club in Czechoslovakia. There are some people in, uh, in Rotterdam. There are some folks in Iceland. All that say, when, when are you coming to see us? And I'm coming, I tell you. And uh, maybe now I'll be able to go see him. hopefully. Anyway, so Jakarta Jive started this mumble and rumble. And then I get a a call uh, from a fellow named Hugh Deller saying that he wants to write an article for an English uh, music magazine called Shindig. Before you know it, there's a five-page article in Shindig with photos and wonderful, kind article. And then I get a call from a fellow named Chris Campion Who says he has a little label and he's interested in talking with me about re-releasing South Atlantic Blues. So that's the genesis of the of the re release. Or in part, of course. It's only part of the story, but it's the part I know. This called South Atlantic Blues.
2: Sits and cries. My life's a lie. Her children think she's died. Her children think she's died. Say that's news. I've got news for you. South Atlantic Blues. for me And I can't help her as she wonders How long will it be? I told her once We will be free From Charlotte and Mali.